What's going on, people? It's your boy, Kalechi, back with another episode of the Rambling Mind Podcast. How are each and every single one of y'all doing today? I hope y'all are staying safe out there. I hope y'all are taking care of yourself during these coronavirus period. I know, I know we're almost there, people. We're almost there. We got the vaccine. Everybody, if you haven't gotten your vaccine shot, maybe think about going to get the vaccine. I'm not saying you should go get it, but I'm just saying maybe think about going to get it. But still, guys, please keep taking all the precautions you know you ought to take during these times. Even though we're almost at the end of the tunnel, we still got to take all our precautions of washing our hands, staying away from people, unless you live in Atlanta, where everybody just seems to be going up and down and going to clubs and everything. But please, you be the responsible person that doesn't put other people at danger, because even though things are meticulating downward a little bit, we're starting to have a few spikes. So please, guys, take all the precautions you know you ought to take. However, 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 forget the virus, forget all that stuff. Well, don't forget it. Do all that stuff. But we got very, very, very good show today. I'm excited. I don't know if y'all could tell from my voice, but I'm extremely excited for what we got going on today. This is going to be a special podcast episode. There are some things that I like to nerd out on, and I'm not able to nerd out on them very much because I don't know a whole lot about it. So I keep it to myself because I don't want to sound dumb. But today we got a special guest that can provide some insights into a lot of economic terms that I like to say that I really don't understand. So when people ask me about them, I'm just like, I don't really know what I'm talking about. But today we got a guest on the show. She has provided so much insights on her TikTok and her YouTube page. And she knows a lot when it comes to this economic stuff. So as a finance nerd, I had to bring her on the show. So please show some love. If you're not clapping right now, you should start clapping wherever you guys are. Start clapping in your car, start clapping because we have a special guest. Her name is Kyla Scannon, and she's going to be sharing a lot of things when it comes to macroeconomics, monetary policy, which some of y'all are like, what does that even mean? We'll figure that out. Let's get into it a little bit. But I wanted to welcome her to the show. Welcome, Kyla. Thank you for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Super excited to be here. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So the first thing before we get into anything, I'd like to ask this question of Who are you outside of TikTok, outside of Instagram, outside of YouTube? Just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm Kyla. Uh, Graduated college in 2019. I'm from Kentucky. Currently live in Los Angeles. Uh, Worked in asset management for a little bit and now work at a tech startup called OnDeck. Um, And I'm building a couple of different things there. And yeah, that's that's my, my day job. And then my I guess my night job is trying to create content around uh, monetary policy. <laughs> yes. By the way, guys, if you haven't seen anything from Kyla, go check her out because, oh my gosh, she gives so much insights in 60 seconds, which is like how she does it. How, how do you do it? Because you like so much, every, you like go through like an entire week of information <laughs> in 60 seconds. And I'm like, how? How are you able to digest all of this stuff so easily? Yeah, I've been doing it for a while. Uh, so I started trading when I was in high school, traded options. So I've been paying attention to the markets for you know seven years now. Yeah. And with that, you just get pretty efficient at processing information. And you know, working in the industry helped. Studied finance in school. So I've just had you know almost a decade of experience of yeah. doing this. So that that really helps. Yeah. Yeah. And it definitely shows. I mean, a decade of experience. It definitely shows. And like, I listen to your videos, and I'm like. 
I never thought of it that way. Like I was like so much insight. Like I just, that's the only word that keeps coming back because I'm just like, man, there's so much stuff. So we'll just start off with this. Um, you just shared a little bit about how you got into economics. Was it just something that always fascinated you? Or was it like a class you took in high school that got you started down the road of economics and trading and investing and all that stuff? No. So my dad traded and okay. I was like, what's that? And it just was really fascinated by the mechanics of it. So I just sort of picked it up. And then in college, I was going to do engineering, um, which I know you do. Yeah, uh, and- yeah. Shout out to all my engineers in the house. Uh, but I was like, I think finance might be a little bit more interesting. <laughs> what? No. Oh, that's my heart. That's my heart. That's not, no, no. I love finance. I'm not going to lie, but like engineering is my baby. Like that's my true love. I'm just saying. Yeah. Like engineering is my ride and die. Finance is like my side cheek. <laughs> so it was the opposite for me. Well, okay. engineering is not my sidekick. I don't think that's possible. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I took it up in school. And for me, like, I think a lot of people get into investing, which makes sense, like to make money. Yeah. But for me, it's just, I'm fascinated by like the structure of the markets. Like, I think it's just so bizarre that we have this whole system set up, like just based on supply and demand and based on like company valuations. And somehow we all reach this like collective agreement. That, like I'm going to buy this share for this price and you're going to yeah. sell it to me. It just blows my mind. So just I'm fascinated by like that, that structure. It is, it is very interesting. Like the entire idea of like, because I don't know what was that movie i think it was either wolf or wall street where he was like it's just fairy dust it's like it doesn't really exist because it really like in the stock market when you go back and sit on it you're just kind of like all we're doing is like like we're valuing companies based on like what we all agree is a commonality of like this is what this company should be and the only time that comes a problem is when like two or three people are like no we disagree and then it's like it shouldn't be that high and it's like how does this whole thing like work out? One of the things I was reading a book and it was talking about like the history of the stock market. And it was just like, it's always been around essentially because people are always looking for money to be able to do what they want to do. And the stock market gives them access to money. So I don't know, is that correct? Or is that wrong as to like history of the market? How it got started? What are the, what are some of the reasons, some of the moves we see happen just in general, before we get a little bit deeper? Yeah, I mean, so like humans are speculators. I think that's yeah. part of the issue, or maybe not even an issue, but like why markets exist is we like to speculate on stuff. Yeah. Like you saw with the Dutch tulip mania, like mm-hmm. that was probably one of the first big uh, financial bubbles, and that was on the stock market. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it's so funny that we just like, business cycles exist because of this like cycle of speculation. Um, and we just never learn from those lessons. And, yeah, so the stock market has always been around because I think people have always wanted to invest and make more yeah. money from their money. Yeah. Um, and like the way that we have money structured, it's possible to do that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, that's definitely true. So I just, I just would start with, um, you said you're 23, right? Yeah. 23. Okay, awesome. Uh, so we've talked about, about the fascination. So let's just get down into it. So right now in the, in the stage that we are in, do you think that we are on, I feel like we're on a knife's edge of things could go either really well and be a roaring 20s, or it can go horribly and we're going to end up in like some form of, I don't want to say depression because nobody likes to throw that word around, but it just feels at least based off of, I'm not, I'm new to investing. I'm just a quick backdrop. I've only been investing for, I'll say two years. And most of what I've been reading a lot of books from like Benjamin Graham and all these dudes that in the old days, and I'm like, 
do they still matter or are we in a new age of investing where some of the fundamentals that I've been reading about and trying to understand don't matter anymore? So I, I don't yeah. know, like, are we at that point where we're starting to either as Ray Dalius calls it, the debt cycle is ending and we're entering into a new age or I don't even know, like, just give me a quick rundown of where you think we are right now in the economy as a whole. Yeah, yeah. So actually, I wrote this piece about this um, two weeks ago called the meme market, um, like the stock market. I saw that. Uh, I read think, that. Yeah. And so that's what I think is kind of going on is that we've memefied everything and we've created like this almost a speculative bubble because we have so much access to information yeah. and you're able to have access to trading. You're able to have access to like TikTok and stuff. And so because of that, we naturally enter this phase of the markets where people are pumping up different things because yeah. it's this get rich quick mindset yep. coupled with this accessibility to markets that we've never really had before. Yeah. Um, and I think like, like one thing I'm really bullish on is sort of this creator economy. So I don't know if it's like a debt cycle, but I just think that people really want to start working for themselves. Yeah. And the stock market is reflecting that. Like people are just like, how do I make money? How do I figure this out? And we're not really taught about that in school. Like That's we're not true. taught how to invest. And so it's just naturally human curiosity is taking hold. And because of that, we're sort of in the speculative frenzy that I don't know if we've ever seen anything quite like it before. We've seen iterations of it, but I yeah. do this time around, it's there's just so much of it, right? That's like true. everywhere you turn, there's some some new tool to speculate upon. So and it's going, yeah. like you said, it's going so fast. It's like it usually takes years to get to the point where like things get so extra vacant but like right now it's like like nfts for example i mean nfts were around for a bit but it wasn't really like anybody paid attention to it but now it was like okay we all pay attention to it and then it explodes and it's like wait a minute shouldn't we have like some kind of ramping up phase it's like there is no ramping up phase and i think do you think that information being so readily available and being literally at the tip of our fingers plays a role into this whole thing Oh, yeah, I think Robinhood accelerated a lot of this, yeah. just making trading so accessible, uh, because all you have to do is download the app and you have to select what type of investor you are, and then you're that's, good to go. That's it. That's it. It's yeah. like everything is one stop go. It's just like there's no there's no pause. There's no like any type of like, OK, let me think about this for a second. It's just like right into it. Um, so one of the things that I, I guess you've been talking about it a lot is inflation on like how that is playing a role and how the markets are moving. So can you break that down a little bit more of like, why exactly is everybody so scared of inflation? And then we have Papa Powell over there sitting down in every single, <laughs> in every single uh, meeting and every single interview, he's like, guys, relax. I mean, I feel like whenever he's getting interviewed by Congress or anyone, he just wants to take the microphone and just scream at everybody like, relax. It's not that big of a deal, guys. But he's just like, he has that like, really like staunch face of just like it's he, well all his legalese that he says but basically like it's not a big deal but like why is nobody believing papa powell on the fact that inflation is not a big deal yeah yeah so there's like um it's it's almost funny like the market does not like you just see so the tenure like the taking off of the tenure so the increase in the tenure yield yeah. shows that the market doesn't believe him because they're pricing yeah. in some element of inflation. Yeah. And you see inflation all around. Like you can look at commodity prices, you mm -hmm. can look at what's happening in like supply chains and freight management. Like there's just, there's a lot of pricing pressure happening. Yeah. And Powell will come on and he'll say like, oh, inflation is just transient. Like it'll pass. 
but it doesn't make sense. Like fun, like the re when I got really frustrated with it was they had estimates that GDP growth was going to be six percent, greater than six yeah. percent, and but no inflation. And it's like that fundamentally, you cannot have one of those without the other. Like there has to be some element of inflation if you're going to be growing that quickly. Like it's yeah. it's completely unavoidable. Um, and so he'll come on, and his his job, unfortunately, I think has has transformed into how do we keep the stock market calm because of what happened last March with like all the craziness. Um, yeah. And so he's doing everything in his power to make sure it's so calm, like asset repurchases. Um, they can, they did the SLR exemption, they got rid of that, but um, you know, they, they're still doing a lot of asset repurchasing, still mm -hmm. doing a lot of policy, still remaining very, very easy. Won't even talk about raising interest rates despite the fact that we are like, like you can look at the jobs report that was released last Friday. Um, uh, so what was that April 3rd? Mm -hmm. And like, how are you gonna add almost a million jobs and say that the economy still needs stabilization uh, in terms of like monetary support? That, that doesn't make sense. Um, so I think that there's like the market has gotten so addicted though to this easy money easy policy money. Mm -hmm. that like if you tried to raise rates before the market completely flipped out um, so we're kind of stuck, I think, at this like very low rate environment, um, and inflation starts picking up, and they have yeah. to raise rates. Like, how is that going to impact the stock market? I don't know. Um, but they've kind of put themselves into a corner. Yeah, between a rock and a hard place. I guess I don't know. I was reading an article, and the the, the argument for like the we added like nine hundred thousand plus jobs, but then on the other side, the argument is. We still have like plus 8 million plus people that are unemployed due to the pandemic. And so I wonder if that's what his focus is on and if he's more inclined to go with, well, it's cool that we added all these jobs back, but really the jobs that we added back were a lot of people who were furloughed and now the, they were slightly getting back. So he's ignoring those numbers. But then at the same time, it's kind of like we have a lot of asset flies inflation where it's just like it doesn't make sense for one thing without the other. For me, I kind of, I don't know if this is negative to say, but I kind of want a little bit of inflation, but I'm also at the point where I'm like, if I don't see inflation in, in pay and like people getting paid, are we really at that point of saying that we have like true inflation though? So I don't know if that makes any sense. If that's even like something where it's like, usually I, I would say, do we measure inflation by salary pays or company pay, or is it just measured by commodity prices basically? Yeah, yeah. So like, I mean, the Fed looks at the PCE. Uh, yeah. So that's what they look at. Um, and then like another metric would be the CPI. Uh, yeah. Like, but like with the CPI, it, it is a form of mismeasurement because they, they exclude certain things. Yeah. Uh, they use substitutes. And so it's hard to determine like what the true inflation rate actually is. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of like misnomers around that. I, I think like, I don't think that we have wage inflation. Um, yeah. I think it's kind of the opposite. Like wages have remained stagnant for a long time, but you yeah. still see increase in the price of food. Um, and like now with commodity prices on the rise, like you're gonna see increases in um, like toilet paper costs, like all of those things that we have to use in our everyday life that rely on like these raw material inputs. Yeah. Like all of that's gonna increase. So the cost of living is gonna increase, but like are wages increasing? Probably not. No, no. Because like one thing that's kind of interesting is like, Companies are solid right now, but a lot of them are still not like entirely like productive. Um, yeah. You kind of have this mix. Like there was a really interesting chart that showed the difference between like gap earnings and non-gap earnings um, in, in in the Dow Jones companies. And 
basically you have companies that are not like misreporting their numbers, but maybe they're not as like successful as they proclaim to be. To yeah. And then that trickles down into like people maybe not getting like paid as much as they should be. Yeah. That's the situation. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. I mean, what even speaking to the non-gap versus gap, are we seeing a lot more zombie companies where because of because of the recent just pumping of money into the system, there are a lot of companies that should be essentially should have gone bankrupt, but are just kind of surviving based off of that, where there's a lot of companies that probably should not be around anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think what the Fed did with coming in and, and saving so many companies back mm-hmm. in March um, of last year was just, yeah, kind of propping up companies that should have uh, should have maybe not been propped up, but the, it was tough because it's like, how do you choose, you know, who to save or whatever? That's but yeah, true. I mean, I think like, I think we have zombie companies and then I think we have companies that are valued in ways that don't make sense. Like I always go back to like the flying helicopter companies. Like, why are they going, why are they spacking at like multi-billion dollar valuations despite yes. ever delivering a flying helicopter? Um, like that doesn't make sense. That's not productive. Uh, <laughs> and like, it's fun, I guess, but it's not useful. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, it's another signal kind of like the easy money environment that we're in. And I guess, well, that, I guess that goes back to the point of like, are we about to see a loss? I've, I've been listening to uh, Munger and I've been listening to, Charlie Munger and uh, what's his name? The guy who called the housing bubble. Oh, Burry. Uh, yeah, yeah, Michael Burry, which, one second. I'm not the biggest fan of Michael Burry to start off with, just because I feel like for the last 10 years, he's been calling for like, ever since like ETFs became a bigger thing, he's been calling for like ETFs to pop. And so, but at the same time, I can't just leave out everything he says. It's like, I feel like with, whenever, with everything, there's some kernel of truth to it. So I'm like, are we about to enter a decade where we're seeing lower returns, especially in like investments, because as the interest rates start creeping back up, are we starting to see like a deflationary or deflating stock market where the bubbles start to, it may not pop in the explosionary and the fantastic way that we're expecting, but we just start seeing like a trickle down effect. Like we saw, well, it wasn't like that bad at the beginning of this year, but do we start seeing, like you said, a lot of these valuations are just insane. But do we start seeing some of that kind of come back to earth for over the next decade where we basically don't see any returns for our, on our money? I mean, it depends. I think it's entirely probable that you see a 0% return over the next five years in, in, in like real rates or in real, real terms um, because of like some inflationary pressures. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think that technology still has room to progress, but there are a lot of headwinds like with the EV companies and sort of like some of the issues that they face with being successful and they're still going public at these like massive valuations yeah. um, like the shortage of semiconductors like the hydrogen storage issue like there are a lot of headwinds to some of these like big growth companies actually being successful yeah and so i don't know if the market will ever begin to like price that in or if it's always going to be like oh 50 years of cash flow <laughs> that's what we're worried about and like because of that like you can't even use traditional valuation methods because it like it completely blows out the model um so like that's but that's what, it's funny like that's the reasoning that some people have for like some of the valuations it's like well this is you know a 50 percent or more growth rate and so like because of that you can't worry about interest rates increasing like things are going to be fine fine and so I think it just, it'll come down to like how the economy does. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's so many factors that go into that. 
do we start blaming Amazon for a lot of these companies <laughs> at some point? Because Amazon was able to just basically ignore everything. Part of it was because Bezos knew how to talk to investors because he came from that. But at the same time, he was just basically able to ignore everything that they that was typically being asked of companies and then grew and then showed that, oh, I could be successful. So now that's led to, I feel like a bunch of companies are just basically trying to use the same playbook. And so everybody is just like, yeah. And they always point to Amazon. Like, it's always like, but look at Amazon. They were not profitable for so long. So we can just keep playing these games. Like at some point though, like, like you said, at some point we got to come back to earth and just kind of relook at everything. Cause I just, I don't understand. I really don't get it. It just confuses me. I've, um, I've been working on this piece about Tesla and there's this thing Uh-oh. called the, you go right? after, you there's go after thing- Tesla, everybody come after you. <laughs> no, but like, so more so just from like a fundamental perspective, um, because like these, there's this thing called the Tesla effect where some of these EV companies that are spacking into existence have a premium attached to them just because of Tesla being like an EV company. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's really interesting because there's probably some sort of Amazon premium out there too. It's like, you don't have to be profitable. If you just say that you're going to be profitable one day, that's enough for investors right now. And I don't know if that's like a good thing or a bad thing, but that's increasingly becoming the narrative. Like I was looking at um, a logistics company earlier today and I was like, like, they're not making money. And it's like, they've been in business for 15 years and they're not making money. And somehow like people are still like, yeah, makes sense to me. So yeah, people don't require that anymore. And, and I guess, why would you? Because if the market is going to say, yeah, like we support you no matter what, you don't need to make money. I mean, literally, if we, I mean, that's one thing that I'll say, like, if there was one thing that Tesla was masterful at was Tesla built such a nice storyline and he had such a fundamental base of people who just chose that no matter what, we're supporting you. And so they were able to just basically finance themselves through the capital market of just like, oh, mm. we're almost going bankrupt, but we can get all this capital from people because people believe or want so badly for Tesla to be a thing that I feel like other companies are hoping for the same thing, but I just don't see where like the belief is there. I see like a lot of people hyping them up, but they don't have the same like cult following that Tesla has. Yeah. Well, Tesla is really interesting because they have Elon and I think Elon, I'm trying to calculate it. It's hard. But like, I think he adds more than 50% market cap to that oh, yeah. company. Like he is Definitely. worth so much. If Elon was not the CEO of Tesla, it'd be an entirely different story because he's a, he's a storyteller. He's able to tell a narrative that people are like, oh my God, yeah, like this guy's building the future. That's so cool. Um, and that's, so that's where the, the, I don't know if it's a problem, but that's just like the reality. He's literally a modern day, He's a rock star, except not in the way that rock stars usually are. He's like a tech rock star. Like, I, I don't know how to put it. He's just like, people just gravitate to him. And he can basically, at this point, he can do no wrong. Like, mm-hmm. he can say whatever he wants. He can do whatever he wants. And he can't, I mean, the worst he did was what? Like, he got basically <laughs> told by the SEC, like, you can't say this, you can't do that. But he can do no wrong right now. Like, the dude is just a superstar and Anything he attaches his name to just kind of seems to, I think he did a video where you were like, Elon tweets about something and it explodes in price. And I was like, (laughs) that was like the Elon effect. It goes way past just Tesla in and of itself. It's just basically 
he has the Midas touch right now. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's pretty much amazing. Like for one person to carry, to have that much power and nobody to even be able to question it. Yeah. I mean, and well, and I think like we're both very exposed to this. Like, I think it's just the power of the individuals rising in, in place of the institution. Mm-hmm. Because people are like not trusting institutions, institutions anymore, and like the GME stuff really, like you know, kind of nailed that. that. Yeah, and like so, you'll get on TikTok, and there's a lot of like scam people, you know, Mm -hmm. pumping different stocks, but people will trust them and go to like Instagram and TikTok for their Mm -hmm. financial information because we're placing more power in the hands of like these influencers. Yeah, Um, I think Elon is an influencer as well um versus like the traditional institutions so that's a oh wow that's see a lot of stuff just clicked for me like because (laughs) so i've been i've been paying because i pay a lot of attention to like the psychology of how why people buy the stuff that they buy and waste the money that they waste and one of the things i was i was in a class it was part of my it was in a class and they were going through like how products are marketed to people and at one point it was talking about how Johnson and Johnson marketed like some perfume and changed the color from red to something else because they elicited a different kind of emotional response. And that has gone all the way down to now. I was listening to a Gary V podcast where he was like, I don't know why people keep wasting money on regular TV ads. Hire one of these influencers that cost way less and they can literally sell your product a lot easier for you. And he was like, one day I'm literally going to put a tweet as an ad on a Super Bowl, because I'm gonna have that much of an influence where people are still gonna buy that product. And just him saying that, at first I was like, nobody's gonna do that. But then I started thinking about it. I was like, literally, a, an influencer, any any influencer, like someone like so, one of my favorite YouTubers, MKBHD. If he literally trashes a product, I'm gonna ignore that product. And I was like, oh, so this is we're in that age of influencer marketing, where influencers basically make make or break a company like what was it kylie jenner tweeted mm-hmm. about snapchat and obliterated i invested in snapchat so i was pissed because i was like what one person but yeah it's it's crazy yeah. it's it's literally like like you said it's like literally just clicked in my head of like he really is an influencer and i guess what effects like as much as we are people are moving away from the institutions and people are starting to i think what effects are we what other effects, except from the meme nature that we've made, memified the stock market, what all other effects might we start seeing, not just in the stock market, but then in the economy as a whole, from the influencer marketing that we're seeing or the influencer-induced markets that we're starting to see more and more of? I think, I think it's a little tough because there's right now there's not a great way to credential the influencers. Yeah. So you it's hard for people to tell like maybe who knows exactly what they're talking about or who's correct to listen to because yeah. you're coming from a baseline of knowledge mm-hmm. um so i think like that's driving a little bit of the speculation like you'll see people on tiktok be like go and buy land i don't know if you like go and buy land on this earth oh, like this yeah, planet that, that doesn't exist yet i saw that i was like thousand percent return so I think like that is driving a lot of the speculation is, is sort of this like misinformation, this um, encouraging people to speculate, encouraging people to invest in things that don't necessarily make sense. Um, and that like when this bubble pops a lot. So I think another thing, 
um, that I'm worried about is like when this bubble pops, if this bubble pops, a lot of these new traders have never seen a bear market. They have yeah. no idea what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I was reading an article from the LA Times and was talking about like investors, like young investors, and you know, they're in these all these growth stocks. And it's like you have to have, as cliche as this is, you have to have a diversified portfolio. Like you cannot <laughs> be entirely dedicated to tech or else yeah. when the market you know, crashes, it's going to be really painful. Yeah. So I'm, I'm worried about that. It's like people are not positioned for a market cycle. They're positioned for things to keep on going up. Yeah. And that could be pretty, pretty bad. Yeah. That That's definitely true. I think I, I like to say like your diversification is your, is your Kevlar. It's, mm-hmm. it hurts. You're still going to lose money, but it's not going to wipe you out. You're not going to die from, from a market completely flipping on you and everything changing. But I, I feel like then again, it happens, everything's happening so fast that people just can't catch it. Because even with the little correction we saw, my expectation was like, okay, people should take this as like, hey, let me start looking, like, let me just start thinking about things. But then the correction happened, but then we started seeing it flip way too fast. And so people were like, oh, forget that. I'm just going to keep buying into, and then the whole buy the dip, which I, I enjoy buying the dip just like the next person when it's companies I believe in. But at the same time, it's like, I also have to understand like, where what is the balance of allocations? Like what is what exactly am I doing? Because I feel like everybody is on this, like really on the Elon wave of 100% or nothing. Like I should be all in. And because they see Elon being such a risk taker, they believe like I can be just as much of a risk taker. And I'm like, no, you can't. You ain't worth billions of dollars. Like <laughs> you have little money, like, let's all calm down. Like, let's just literally come back to earth and understand where we are. But nobody's really listening to that right now because it's working. It's, and you can't really say anything to somebody when they're, they're looking at the markets and they're like, yo, I just made a thousand plus percent return. And I'm looking over here at this guy that has a diversified portfolio and he made like a 50% return. Why, why am I going to go with that guy? Like, he doesn't know what he's doing. Like, and that's part of it. It's, I don't know. Do you think that the coronavirus shutdown also plays a massive role into this where everybody was literally posting about stocks all the time? Oh yeah. And people were stuck at home. They were bored. A lot of people were laid off. So you had to find somebody to make money. Um, And then also I think like, you know, having more time to think about the markets, having more time to digest information and also kind of what happened in March, it was like super wild. Um, Just in yeah, and so I think like it just grew. <laughs> I was on uh, like, I so yeah, uh, it was just absolutely crazy. I was working in asset management at that time, um, and was like really near our high yield credit team, and just like com- some of the conversations, it was just I'd never seen. Obviously, like I'm very young, but like I'd never seen anything, anything like, like that. And yeah, I think okay. that's kind of like what drew a lot of people into the markets. Like, what is this? <laughs> like, what's going on? Um, and then you have more time to, to investigate. So I think that drove a lot of um, dollars that way. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It was kind of like, and it happens so fast. My main thing, I'm going back to the speed of everything. Because mm-hmm. it's just like, I remember I was talking to my dad and we had been talking before that. We were just talking about like investing when other people, like we had, he had talked to me a little bit about like Warren Buffett and stuff like that. And then he was like, when other people are afraid, that's when to invest. But then I was like, we didn't even have enough time to be afraid. It just kind of dropped and took off. And it just was like, and I think that's the mindset that we go into the market now. It's just kind of like, 
oh, things would rebound like that. Like, what, what do you mean? Like, and I was talking to somebody and he was like, even if the market crashes, we always have Jerome Powell, who's just going to flood more money into the market. And mm -hmm. I think that's the belief now of just like you were saying, of just like, oh, Papa Powell's coming in and saving the day every day. So he's got his money printer. He's going to save us. And it's just like, no, this is a special, special occasion. That's crazy that they said that. Yeah. Um, but I think that's like, yeah, that's definitely reflected in the market. Um, but his, his power, I think, is waning. Um, there's only, like, they still have definitely, like, yield curve control is something they can yeah. still do. Um, if they do that. That's, oh, yeah. I am, I am just like, I'm like, please, please just like, stop. Like, I don't know, like, I'm tired of like the monthly buying of bonds that they've been doing. And I'm just like, I, you gotta stop. Like, you gotta like, like, give, just stop. I, I don't know. It's just, I'm at the point where I'm just like, Jerome Powell, just let it run. Like you've done, you've done more than enough. Let this thing run for a while and let us just kind of let things balance out a bit. Cause we're getting to a point where it's like more assets are being owned by the government than anybody else. And it's just ridiculous it just doesn't make I any love sense that risk contagion too oh uh, <laughs> uh, yeah nothing like the government owning corporate bonds oh my god not just good not just like good corporate bonds it's like trash bonds too it's just like oh yeah oh you guys can't pay back it's fine we'll take it on it's like oh okay cool 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 anyway so last question i have for you is on have you i'm pretty sure you've heard of this because this is your your field but modern monetary theory mmt which is like everybody loves talking about mmt as like this is the new wave this is all we need to pay attention to mmt the government doesn't have to worry about the balance sheet we just complained about it for a little bit do we need to be taking mmt seriously and should that be something where it's like we're going into this way this is the new wave this is the future for us yeah so i actually i have a really old video really old it's like from december but like i have a video on mmt and I think we're, we're there. We just don't have like the good parts of it. Um, like we don't have the jobs guarantee. Um, mm -hmm. But I think like essentially the government has decided that debt is no longer an issue. Like the about like this new infrastructure plan, although yeah. needed, like now we're looking at like $32 trillion in debt. Yep. And it's it, like, I think there's like 7 trillion of US debt coming due this year. And it's just going to kick it down the road. And so that... This gets into something really important too with interest rates and why why Jerome why Powell is being like a little bit more hesitant. If they raise rates, that's gonna knock that debt, that interest payment on that debt up. And I think it's already at like ten percent. Uh, the interest payments already at ten percent of the federal budget. Yeah. Right? And so we've kind of entered this place where it's like, okay, we're just going to have to finance everything through debt there's no way we're going to have a budget surplus. Um, and so that, I mean, that's like kind of an iteration of MMT. We don't have the jobs guarantee, like we don't have um, some of those more supportive policies, but I would say that we're definitely in like a more, more um, involved and more less cognizant of uh, our spending. Mm -hmm. that's, that's interesting. I never thought of it that way. And it's kind of scary because I, what was it? Aren't we like a hundred percent of GDP now with our debt, with the amount of debt that we have, or something like that? Yeah. So global debt, global debt to GDP is like through over three hundred percent. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Jeez. 
So she, I, I mean, by the tenets of everybody with MMT of just like, that's not important enough to pay attention to the debt. Like, is it not important for us to pay attention to debt? Or is it like, okay, we could pay attention to the debt, but inflation will knock out and kill that debt anyway. <laughs> I am. Um, so I, sorry, I didn't mean to laugh. Like, it's all good. But I just, <laughs> I just did this, um, this fun piece with the data guy on TikTok um, yeah. about hyperinflation in Germany. And essentially their plan was to inflate away their debt. So they would just borrow, borrow, borrow. And it just, at the end of the day, it was like inflation will take care of this. And that's a really simplified version of what happened. But I mean, that's like, is the government thinking about that? Like, is there like, okay, so we have 30 trillion in debt. Like, can we just inflate that away? Nobody will know. You know, it's it's wild. It's wild to think about. We're going to end up like Zimbabwe. We got to have what trillion dollar bills and we're still not going to be able to buy like a loaf of bread or anything. It's just going to be like, oh, sorry. Can't afford anything. Paper money is useless now. And I, I guess, guess that's... Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, I don't think, I don't think we're... I don't think we're close to <laughs> now, that. I don't, now, I'm just kidding. We're nowhere close to hyperinflation because that would be all bad. That's... I know. So I grew up in Nigeria and Nigeria's inflation rate is basically hyperinflation at this point, because when we moved here, that was 2006, it was a dollar to like a hundred Naira. No, it was like 50 Naira. Now it's a dollar to 400 and something. And so I've experienced the hyperinflation, like actual crazy hyperinflation. It's like, it's stabilized for like three years. And then all of a sudden it shot back up like two years ago and just was like, so I've like experienced that. And I'm always telling people like, everybody relax. This ain't it. We ain't, we ain't in hyperinflation just yet. But I mean, it's something to keep an eye on. It's just interesting to just see like the, the moves that might push us over the edge. And I just think hopefully this would be a roaring 20s where we can actually like pay off some of the debt or something. I don't know. And okay, that, that leads me to another question. If we enter what everybody's predicting to be a new boom of like technological advances we're going to be making all this money. Do you think we will be willing to stop the stuff that we're doing now? Because you said something earlier, which is kind of scary to me, where the market is kind of like we're on cocaine and it's very hard to get off cocaine. It's not just like an easy process to like say, okay, guys, we're just going to take this away from y'all and just go away with it. Is it even possible that we can get to the point where the, where the government doesn't own most assets? I think there's like a couple of forces happening. So you kind of have like the crypto force, like where it's DeFi, where you don't want any, like you want no government intervention. Mm-hmm. And that would not be beneficial to the government probably. Yeah. Um, so that would work against kind of like, well, will the United States and like other countries sort of um, get out of this debt fueled cycle? Um, and then you also have like, <laughs> speaking of the United States, like I don't think the US is, is a, a leader. Uh, in sort of like this new advancement in technology. And I think that's a fear um, that that's somewhat priced in um, right yeah. now. Um, and I think like you you just have these, and they'll get worked out over time, I think, but like these supply chain shortages um, that short term are gonna put more like, you know, pressure pressure on how we manufacture technology. Yeah. So I think, I think like there's just a lot of things that are working against not having that debt fueled cycle. Um, and you kind of like with regards to like the easy monetary policy and just easy policy in general, like you kind of have to appease the markets because like pro- productivity is not that 
high. We're kind of yeah. in this weird like economic phase where, okay, you have a lot of companies doing a lot of things, but are you really advancing society forward? Like how many pizza delivery company like trucks do you need? Um, and I think that's part of the issue. And I think, like, I honestly think that like what happened with the vaccine was incredible. And that is a really good sign that yeah. like there's still innovative techniques, there's still ability to move forward and it shows yeah. that you can do it. So I think if we can replicate that, um, yes. But I think we still have a few more years to sort of this debt-fueled frenzy. <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's the, I guess, just going back to what you said about productivity, because the one thing everybody keeps talking about is there's so much focus, or I think I was listening to Charlie Munger and he was like, we're going to get to a point where we have so many people, so many smart and intelligent and great people who are leaving, like mm -hmm. becoming engineers or becoming whatever, like good other stuff to go finance because that's been what's lifted up in the last few years. Like everybody is going the finance route because that's now the like ultimate thing. That's where the money is and everybody's going that route. And so just like you said, now we're falling behind in so many of these other areas and so many of these other parts of the world that we need part we need to be a bigger player in and we took a major seat back for the last five ten years and we just kind of let everybody else kind of overtake everything that's going on in the united states and so yeah i mean that's one thing that worries me is like the only way gdp grows is if if we can become more productive but the only way we've become productive in the last few years is oh i can get my food one second faster or i can get to the to this place a little bit faster and it's like that's not really advancing and i guess that's that might be the reason why everybody's so excited about companies like tesla and spacex and it yeah. just keeps that vision alive to a degree yeah and i think like I, I do think we're kind of seeing people maybe move away from the finance like i started off in finance right yeah i left to to build stuff um yeah. because i didn't want to be a part of that yeah kind of and so i think you do see more people who are like i'm gonna build yeah. um so i think like our, our generation our builders versus That's like maybe our parents generation was more so like okay give me my you know 40-year job and my pension uh we don't have that and so that's yeah. going to require innovation that's going to require us to like step outside the boundaries of a traditional corporation and actually yeah. like do things ourselves because that's yeah. all we've ever really known and we're yeah. not promised anything that's right um, so i think that like I, i'm bullish on us as a generation mm -hmm. that's dope and i guess so we came out of this recession, or we're not really completely out of it, but we've came out of this with a K-shaped recovery where those who had had more and those who lost, lost more. And I think, do you think part of the creator economy that we're moving into, which you wrote a piece about this, and I want you to talk a little bit more about it. I really liked reading it because it talked about one of my, the companies that I'm really bullish on, and he talked about them in a positive light. And so therefore I was excited. But um, the K-shape, do you think the creator economy can close that gap for just basically so so we're not in the same position over and over where more and more people are looking less towards the idea of capitalism and more towards the idea of socialism of just like ah forget this let the government just have everything and just make sure that everybody's safe which i'm not the biggest fan of that because i just haven't seen it work too well but do you think the creator economy can close that gap for people to have an opportunity to create and then be able to sustain themselves and their family? Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't tie the creator economy with socialism. I think they're too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but um, 
so I think like it gets into two things, right? Like you have the individual and then you have the institution. Yeah. The institution is incentivized to make money at all times. Like Robinhood will sell your data in order to close trades, which is like part of the cycle. Like they don't yeah. really have a choice. And so you kind of have these incentives that are skewed at the top, yeah. which can prevent that K-shaped gap from closing. Yeah. And it makes the rich richer and makes the poor poorer. And that just, like, because rich people want to get richer, like at yeah. the end of the day, that's their incentive. Yeah. Um, and with regards to Roblox, I think we mutually are incredibly bullish on them. Yeah. But like you have friction from companies like Apple, where Apple's like, okay, I'm going to charge you 30% in App Store. What if Apple didn't do that? What if Roblox could invest that 30% back into building the metaverse, which would be, I think, a huge, Massive. huge change in how we think about things. And so you have like company incentives skewed at the top, which can prevent, you know, I tie creators in the metaverse kind of together but that can prevent that gap from closing. I think if you can realign incentives, I think that creators are going to be incredible because, you know, humans inherently are storytellers and that's yep. what creators do really well is they yep. tell stories. And there's no reason why, like the whole corporate structure, the 40 hours a week, nine to five, it makes no sense. Why do you do that? You know, um, I think like, especially in this remote first world, um, I think there's huge room to innovate and to change that, but you just have to get incentives aligned at the top, which is yeah. not easy. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, one of the first podcasts that we ever did on this was the, there was the, what was it? The CEO council or the, I forget what they call themselves. Uh, it was like a bunch of business, the business council or something like that, that came together and said, we're changing the way that we see uh, the corporate structure. It's no longer just about shareholders and that's about it. And it was basically like, we have more stakeholders, our community, our employers, our, our employees, and also shareholders all should play a, play a role in, in what we determine to happen with the community or rather with the company. And that was like kind of in line with, have you heard of Simon Sinek? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so Simon Sinek, like that's his whole shtick is like, companies how can you ask anybody to be loyal to you when you haven't shown a vein of loyalty to anybody else and so uh that just i guess definitely of your point of just it goes back to like what are the incentives like is the incentives to make sure that everybody feels that they can actually create and be great in what they're doing or do they feel like uh what's the point of doing anything because it's pointless mm -hmm. so yeah. yeah and i feel like we're kind of at that fork in the road where you do see some some threads in that um with like high schoolers is kind of like what's the or maybe that's just like the high schooler mentality but like you know what's the what's the point like yeah what's the point of all of this that's fact i think one thing that i see a lot on tiktok is like what is money money is useless money is not real which is you know inherently true but it's also yeah. not true and i think that narrative is harmful <laughs> very harmful because i'm like you want to eat yeah you like, want to eat food you gotta you gotta have money like let's stop playing with this but yeah. I guess it's pushed people to that point, though. Like, that's where people are at. It's just kind of like, and I, which that leads to another discussion, which a lot of people are at this point where they call us the depressed generation, where there's like so much of, if you just like, whenever I scroll through TikTok, I'm like, man, people really, like, it's really bad out in these streets because it's just like a lot of people are struggling through just day-to-day -day stuff because nothing seems possible plus there's the whole comparison thing and the whole like so much you see on social media of everything so there's like all of these stuff that we have never experienced as human beings before all coming into one time all at the same time and it's just like 
But like you said, I'm glad somebody's bullish on our generation because sometimes I lose hope. So, you know. Oh, no, I, I, I definitely am. I think that, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to be a human. Like we kind of yeah. have our brains are not wired for the society that we live in. Like we're still wired to be hunter gatherers almost. Um, and because of that, like we're always anxious. We're always on. We're always worried because that's like wired in us. And so now we have this device that we can get on and it can fuel that worry and that can fuel this anxiety. And so of course we're anxious, of course we're depressed. Um, It's unavoidable. But like the question is not like, okay, like this generation is lazy because of that. It's like, how do we turn that uh, anxiety, depression, et cetera, into something useful if if that's even possible? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. It's just... Like if we go back to like just the incentive base of companies like Facebook, it's like if they can like just basically like you're saying, there's a lot of these companies and the incentives, if they switch up what is incentivizing them, all of a sudden it can be a whole because initially Facebook was like a whole lot of good, but incentives carry power. You alter your algorithm to ensure that you carry you can keep selling more ads. And what sells the most ads is the easiest thing to elicit uh, a response from somebody is pain and fear. Those two things will always elicit the most visceral, the most immediate response from anybody. Why is the same reason every time you go on YouTube, it's like every single thumbnail is like market crash happening tomorrow, even though the market went up today. It's like market crash, market crash, market crash. And it's like those elicit immediate responses of you being like, oh, what's what's going on? And it's just fear. Like you said, fear tends to drive us a lot of the time. And it's unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, I actively try to make my content like not super scary. And yeah. I have a pretty monotone voice because people in the comments have called out. And so I think that helps. Like a lot of people will see my content, your content too. And it's like, you know, things aren't that bad. It's just how you portray them. And like it gets into this idea humans are storytellers. Yeah. And we like this, like scary stories are inherently more interesting than things are fine, but they're not great. You know? <laughs> yeah but before we close this out i have a few this is the last this is the last uh question that we're going to go into and it's this or that you have to pick one or the other um mm-hmm. as we finish finish out the show today so gold or bitcoin oh shoot crypto not necessarily bitcoin but crypto in general not necessarily bitcoin but crypto this is just you just like knocked out my second question which is ethereum or silver so oh. again we go, we go crypto okay. on that one. All right. <laughs> Dogecoin or AMC? Oh, oh goodness. Um, <laughs> I mean, I suppose like which one would I invest in? Is that the question? Yeah, yeah. Neither. <laughs> you can't, you have to pick one. That's the whole point. You have to pick oh, one. Oh goodness. I would have to say AMC because they're actually business. Okay, AMC. J- uh, GameStop or Tesla? Oh, Tesla. Yeah. Apple or Microsoft? Uh, oh, that's unfortunate. Facebook or Google? <laughs> Google. Google. iOS or Android? Well, I already see the earpiece, so. Oh, no, I'm an Android person. Are you part. serious? Yeah, I had to switch over to Apple in order to use Clubhouse, but oh. I've been an Android user all of my life. Yep. Hey, we got another one. I'm, I'm tempted I'm tempted to go Apple. My little brother and I have been like Android and then he switched. And I'm like, yeah. this is 
sad. This is sad. Yeah. But like, I mean, they're doing good things for privacy. So, you know, it's hard to like say no. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. Anyway, Amazon or Google? Oh, yeah. uh, I'd say Amazon here. Okay. I don't know. It's so, like, these questions are so nuanced, right? <laughs> yes. Um, and I don't invest in actually in any of these big names. Oh, you of, don't? Mm -hmm. Any of the fangs? Mm -hmm. Oh, man. That's impressive because I have not met a single person in our generation that doesn't have like something with Apple or Microsoft oh, or something. Probably a flaw in my portfolio, but I just, uh, yeah, it's definitely a flaw, but it's something I, I prefer smaller things. You're not the only person because there's another one of my friends, Tolu. He's of the mindset that why am I going to invest in a trillion dollar company when I can invest in small companies that can grow a lot faster and double my portfolio weight. So that's his shtick. I argue with him all the time, but he's smarter than me. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. Uh, ARC or QQQ? Oh God, QQQ. Hmm. Not ARC, no. <laughs> Absolute arc, arc, yeah. We can have another conversation about arc, uh, but yeah, that that. Conversation oh, I have this so is. <laughs> oh, this is good. We have okay. We we all have to talk about arc another day because. Oh man, I got it. Oh. oh okay. Anyway, let's keep going. Spy <laughs> or DIA? Oh, spy, spy. Why spy? Uh, the Dow Jones, or you know, I don't really like that index the way it's structured. <laughs> I don't think most people do. Like the Dow Jones is. I don't know, 30, anyway, let's not get into that because that's the whole, <laughs> spring or fall? Well, you're in LA, it's spring all day for you. Yeah, I like fall though. I, I kind of like the changing of the seasons. Does it change in LA? I've never been. Yeah, it's cold. It okay. Cold. Colder, yeah. Let's define cold. Like 40, it's kind of cold. Yeah. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Coffee. Uh, Kathy or Buffett? <laughs> Buffett. <laughs> I think I respect Kathy, but I don't respect her risk management. <laughs> she doesn't have risk management. There's no risk management. Her risk management is double down. It's literally double down. It's just, there's no risk management. Price target on Tesla. That's oh, what her risk management is. I saw that and I was just like. Oh, and, God, and this, the, thing, the thing that annoys me even more is the. I don't, I, it's like, okay, cool. Sell your book. Like whatever. Like she's, it's all an ad. I'm cool with that. What annoys me is other people that then pump it on like YouTube and everything and just pump. Anyway, anyway it's just the whole thing is because at the end of the day, she's getting money and she has to use that money some way, somehow somebody broke. Anyway, when I'm, and I'm going to stop <laughs> Kathy or Lynch, which Lynch, oh, just not Kathy. Like <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to her. Yeah, don't. I hope the audience doesn't take that out of context. All right. Who do you think yeah. is more bullish on Tesla, Kathy or Elon? Oh, Kathy. Kathy. <laughs> okay. The meme lord Elon or Munger? Uh, Elon. I think Elon is very relevant right now. Yeah. Who would you take in a fight between <laughs> Kathy and Elon versus Charlie and Buffett? Like a fist fight? Or? Like a fist fight. Um, think of them in their primes in their prime in their ultimate prime who would you take you gotta remember uh, uh, Munger was in a war like he literally joined the army so 
I gotta say Mungry then. That's <laughs> the sense. Yeah. All right. Papa Pal or Yellen? Oh man. Um Yellen Yellen's pretty cool. They're both I, I respect them both. Yeah. You're like, this is such a painful answer. I don't want to pick either one. It's painful. All right, so let's just finish this out with uh, what's your favorite newsletter or news outlet that you get your information from? I use Twitter a lot. Yeah. Okay. That's it? Just Twitter or like any other like news outlet that you can recommend or even on Twitter? What's some people that you would recommend for people to go check out so they can um, get? Alex Good at Good Alexander. Um, okay. I think he's really good. Uh, and then like there's a lot of, I can shoot over some, some okay. memes to you and you can put them in the show notes if you want. Cool. Awesome. Um, Morgan Brew is really good. There's a uh, Packy McCormick, his Substack, Bryn Hobart, his Substack, um, his newsletter is really good. Um, yeah, there's a ton of like different Substacks. I have a resource list that I can also share. Sweet. That might be useful. Yeah. I need to get into Substack because mm -hmm. I get, I, you do a lot of newsletters, but I need to get into Substack because there's a lot of good stuff. People always are like, yo, check out this article on Substack and this article on Substack. I'm like, what am I missing? Because okay everybody's on Substack. Okay, cool. And what's your favorite investing book? Um, I don't have one off the top. Of mm. I don't have one. I don't think I found one that I think perfectly fits how I invest. I get like Tasty Trade and their their thesis a lot. Let me um, check out Tasty Trade. Yeah, that, that's what I would recommend. Okay, cool. Well, that's a lot of good stuff. One day we got to talk about this art situation because yeah. anyway, but yeah, but thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We ended up talking for way more than 30 minutes. We allocated to this because there's yeah. a lot of good stuff to talk about. And the current situation is too juicy for us yeah. to not squeeze the juice. But Absolutely. thank you so much for coming on. But guys, go check her out. I'm gonna put all her links down in the show notes. She makes amazing TikToks. She's finally making some YouTube videos. The mummification the video she made on mummification of the stock market was hilarious and spot on all at the same time. Uh, but she also writes a newsletter. You can check that out. I'm going to put that down in the show notes as well. All of her stuff is really, really great. You can learn so much, so much from just listening to her stuff, watching her stuff, reading her stuff. If you're into finance like I am, or if you're into just learning about how Papa Paul is overprinting or Janet Yellen and what they're up to and monetary theory and all that kind of stuff. You can definitely get so much insights. But anyway, guys, thank you so much for watching and thank you for listening. I'm going to catch y'all later. Remember, generosity is always greater than greed. God bless each and every single one of y'all. And we out of here. Peace.